and we have um for my analytics about roughly 10 people that listen every month <laughs> so it's a really big audience uh, five of us are on the podcast yeah i think we're i think and we're all subscribed so i have a lecture on vimeo on uh on green homes and and shawnee looks at it and he says dad you have five views <laughs> i said yeah i was three mom was one and you're the other <laughs> Welcome to Several People Are Typing. I am joined by Will and Adam and a special guest, Paul, or as I like to call him, Uncle Paul. Um, he is he is he is with us tonight because he is an architect who focuses in in you know uh, going green, being be very energy efficient, and and I'd love I wanted to ask him a bunch of questions about the field and and that area specifically. So so let's get started. So so Uncle Paul, uh, uh, I'm glad you joined. And and I wanted to start off with a, one question, which is how did you get into architecture? How did you become an architect? Yeah, you know, um, I was very fortunate. I recall my senior year in high school, um, listening to all my friends who had absolutely no direction on what they wanted to do. And I knew when I was about, I think in middle school, there was absolutely no doubt. Um, freshman year in high school, I took a drafting class and that solidified it. So I, I, I had no doubt uh, what I wanted to do very early on. And architecture is the type of degree that like you don't, you don't go to school and then declare your major by your sophomore year. That doesn't happen in architecture. You, you go into an architectural school and you start first semester with architectural classes. So there's, there's no like, uh, oh, I don't know what my major is going to be. I'm going to, you, you need to know that you go into architectural school to get a degree in architecture. So I knew that really on and I was really lucky. And, um, you know, it, it really comes down to, um, and, and through a lot of uh, um, psychoanalysis that my, my childhood was very chaotic and unpredictable. And this is my way to bring reason and sanity to the world <laughs> through through uh complex lines and drawings and, and, and organized logical buildings yeah it, it was my way of bringing logic to my world sure sure uh and like how do you how do you make something that tall not fall over right? <laughs> there's yeah. got to be a moment to that <laughs> so so yeah and you know so it, it, yeah the, it has to be orderly and functional and keep the rain out and stand up. And, and so it, 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 I was immediately drawn to it and I, I, I never wavered from it. So do you, to answer your question, I, I don't know. It's, it was always, it was always a part of me. Um, do you feel like, um, I mean, I don't know how many architects you, you, you talk to, but did you feel that was generally the case uh, when you went to school or, 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 or no, do you think you're the I exception think, or you're more the rule? Uh. I, think I'm, I think I'm the the exception. If I have to give you the, if I had to give you the rule of why most people, and I think this relates mostly to men, uh, why most men go into architecture, it's egomania. I, want, I feel I like that's why most people, most men do most things. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, I guess it kind of gets amplified in architecture because you get to build something bigger than you, that's going to be here after you're dead. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. I, 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 when you put it like that, yeah, you're right. How my, how my, my crap's going to stay around that kind of legacy. Yeah, right. Thing. It's like you dropping your turds all over the surface of the planet <laughs> and they go away and they stay there. Hopefully they stay there. Yeah. You, that's why you got to go to school to make sure they stay there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or someone's going to, you know, if it's ugly, someone's going to tear it down. Right. 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 You need, you need to get it to that kind of, uh, uh, um classical or whatever whatever the look has to be that just kind of makes it say this is now a, a staple of wherever it is and now now you're good uh, uh vitruvius called it firmness commodity and delight it's it's, it's got to stand up it's got to be economical and it's got to be pretty it's got i love it's got to stand up <laughs> <laughs> don't forget step one um <laughs> so uh okay so so you got it architecture uh and 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 now you're i know I'm sure it's not necessarily exclusively what you do, but now you've really, really gotten into uh, 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 this green architecture field. So why don't you go more into that? What what makes something green? How you got into it? Um, you know, what, what pulled you there? Yeah, it is pretty much exclusively what I do. Um, I, I turn down work that isn't. Um, and so I go back to age 16, uh, pumping gas at Hess during the first gas crisis. And... There were lines down the block to get into the gas station. We weren't allowed to put out a sign that said no gas. Uh, people would pull in. We, the cops were in our gas station three, four times a day because people would pull in and they want gas. And we didn't have any. And I came to the conclusion that there's something really fragile about this gasoline situation. And a couple of people over in the Middle East could, could flip a switch and, and we would go through this. We were so vulnerable. And that's what started it when I was working at Hess. See, and I was 16. It was the first job I ever had. And that when you say when it started it, you wanted to 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 be more uh, conscious about how we how we um you know can make uh, more efficient like buildings and structures. So you're saying that combined with the architecture led straight to the kind of green architect. How can we build well, a most yeah, efficient I mean, it was the fragility of fossil fuels, the fragility of fossil fuels. It was so it was so easy to crack that and and have a a huge disaster that we we can't we, we can't be as reliable on this this fuel source and so you know it, it all started back in the seventies you know working for several architects and um, trying different things and trying to make energy efficient buildings and trying to make healthy buildings and 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 that really just evolved and evolved and evolved so you know. I had huge failures. Uh, <laughs> there, there was one one project where we were putting in a thermal mass, and we wanted this thermal mass to accept accept our heat. And and you can get a lot more when you do the phase change when you change over from a solid to a liquid. And and we, we used um, a wax, and and the wax went from solid to liquid. But the expansion factor, we, we, we didn't get that right. And and when the wax went from a solid to a liquid, it, it overflowed the barrels and it was all over the floor. It was a, it was a disaster. Um, so, you know, you, you, you learn from those and and you'll, you learn what works, you learn what doesn't. And, and, you know, when it comes to green buildings, the key, the most important thing to energy efficient buildings is air infiltration. Um, it's it's irrelevant of how much insulation you have. If the building leaks, it's it's irrelevant. So I, I always make the 
analogy that you can go to bed with like a 14 inch thick comforter on top of you and somebody slides in a soda straw and blows in cold air. What does it matter how thick your comforter is? So keeping buildings tight and that's where we started making buildings tight. And then when you make buildings tight, they can get sick. So now you got to make the building breathe and we choose how to make it breathe. So if I can make the building as airtight as possible, you know, our analogy is a space capsule. <laughs> that, that's the goal, to make the building a space capsule. Make it space, space, space ready. <laughs> yes. um, zero air coming in or out except where we want it to. Um, now we can get, now we can start talking about insulation. So it's been, um, you know, what, what I tell my clients is, we still build houses the way Levitt built them in 1945. The fiberglass insulation, two by four studs, it's, it, it, it's basically the same. Um, and what do, we, what do we build differently now that we built from 1945? Do we build cars the same way? Do we build airplanes the same way? Do we build anything the same way? But we build houses the exact same way. And it hasn't moved an inch. And that's because of Long Island builders. Uh, cheap materials? Like, is it? No, they, uh, no. I mean, I, I had a face-to-face with uh, Long Island Builders Institute. They're very powerful. And and I, and I said to the, the chairman, you know, we're on the same side here. We, we really, we, we each want to build a quality product. And he said, no, we're not. I want to build the same building from Manhattan to Montauk. I just want to build the same thing over and over and over. This is what my guys know how to do. And I'm like, you know, we can teach people different things. <laughs> <laughs> We're not stuck here. Um, but but, but it, that's, where, that's where it comes down to is the builders. And I would say over the years, I, you know, I don't let it happen anymore. But over the years, more than 80% of the time, a green building went out the door on paper. And as soon as it got to the builder, it got shredded. And so is that not the case in other regions where, you know, new homes are being built uh, to more, you know, eco-friendly standards and, and to higher, you know, standards that aren't just about cost and, and kind of cookie cutter, my guys know how to do this mentality. Um, it, I would I think see, that would prevail. Uh, yeah, I see stick places. framing everywhere when it comes to residential. Commercial is completely different, but um, stick for, I mean, you, you look around the country, you see um, houses in um, Tornado Alley. I'm like, guys, you live in fucking Tornado Alley. <laughs> you know, first of all, I wouldn't live there. Second of all, you know, you really want to be able to build a, build a building that's, you know, you, that's going to live through that. Uh, you, you see the, the fires in California. And I'm like, you build in your, you know, you, you, you're the three little pigs. You're building your house out of sticks. <laughs> um, and, and, here, and here comes the fire. Um there's a great example of a California hillside where they were two insulated concrete form homes, uh, which is one of the types of homes I, I, I do. And the entire neighborhood burned. And those two, those two houses are still just sitting there. Um, so it, California surprises me. Florida surprises, surprises me. The South surprises me. Um, I, I, for, for what I do, you know, I get calls from people all over the country like, can, can you come build uh, this type of house for me in Arkansas? Uh, no, um, I, I, I don't have any contacts. I don't have a license there, um, but I see the demand, but it's really tiny. It's minuscule. And is that mostly just a cost uh, 
factor or is it just something people aren't thinking about? So it's, it's a first cost factor. Um, and when people talk about construction, they're only talking about the first cost. That's primary to them, the first cost. What I try and get them to look at is the life cycle cost of the building. So here on Long Island, um, we spend $10,000 a year on energy to heat and cool the home and light it. Um, I can eliminate that $10,000. Um, and so if it's going to cost you an extra 50 grand to build that house, um, that's, that payback is five years. That's golden. Um, over the lifetime of the home, you know, this is a 500-year home. So over the lifetime of the home, the first cost is about 4% of the entire life cycle cost of the house. So it, it's really a no brainer, but again, it's the builders. The builders say, you know, hey lady, your architect's fucking crazy and he's spending your money and I could save you $50,000. Um, and people used to go for it. Now people come to me, I query them of that. They, they, people call me to ask, you know, to, to see if I want to take on their work. And actually I'm, I'm interviewing them to see if I'm willing to. And, you know, if they're looking for a, a, a center hall colonial in Stony Brook, I'm not interested. It's not gonna help me to do that project. And if you know, they give me a hard time, I say, fine, $40,000 to design it and then they go away. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it doesn't sound like this is your area of work, but given the, the reluctance for people to build these green homes, like how feasible is it to retrofit um, houses that were not built that way originally? Um, yeah, I, I, I can't do it. Yeah. So um, it, it, it's uh, people say, I, I want to turn my home net zero and, and I'll be fighting that envelope constantly. So I, I walk away from those two. I, I can't get you to net zero with this envelope. Um, it's it's just the way it's made. It, it's too much of interruption of the insulation. It's too many. The house is made out of too many bits. There's too many places for it to leak. Um, so uh, for this, it's it's strictly new work, new construction. Um, it's much easier to pull off in a new commercial building. Um, it, a, a new residential building is is a, a big challenge, um, but new construction, yes. And I still do additions but they're not net zero energy additions. They're, they're you know, I, if you have a stick frame home and you want to put an addition on it, stick frame it. It, it doesn't make sense to do it any other way. You have this really efficient extended master be bedroom that just doesn't yeah, really mean yeah. anything. And so the, back back in the 70s, we, we would take the envelope of the building and the particular R values for all the different components of the R value of areas and R value. And we would average the envelope and the computer models of the nineties and two thousands determine that it's not the average, it's the weakest point that controls. So you can have, uh, you know, R 58 walls and, and a crappy window and that window is really going to run the model. So um, it, it, it's really about getting an all-around envelope that's uh, the same R value and that's tight. And, and now we can start working with that. But yeah, as far as like other uh, uh, stick frame stuff, Adam, I, I just, I can't get it. And, and, and there's much better stuff around now. You know, I can, I can spray foam between the studs that seals a lot. 
I can wrap the outside with, with, um, with insulation, make it continuous. Um, and, and still I'm not gonna get to net zero and still I have to put in ventilation. I can put in mechanical ventilation um, and we're still not gonna get to net zero unless I cover the property with solar. So um, it's a challenge, but um, you can make it better. And, and I have to you know, be careful here because um, there's a lot more existing buildings than there is new work. So um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's our goal at the Green Building Council to retrofit the building stock, but um, you, only can go, so you only can do so much. Yeah, it's not the efficient way to approach the problem. Yeah, and, and it's really about replacing buildings as they end their life. And a, a you know a stick frame home is going to live on a good 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 basis 120 140 years um, before it's it's going to need something um, and and a lot of them are just taken down but but commercial buildings are a whole other story yeah one of the things I was thinking of is you know it, it sounded you know and, and you kind of made it explicit like oh if Adam wanted to get his house to to net zero basically tear down your house and build it again yeah um, but as you know, if, if your house is only 20 or 30 or 40 years old uh, and you're thinking about kind of the broader ecological issues rather than, you know, how do I save $10,000 a year on my personal utilities? Um, are there considerations around the net effect of, of tearing down a building and, and using all of these materials to, to rebuild in an eco-friendly manner rather than just allow the building to run its course uh, and then once it's done? Um, like, is there a, an inflection point there on age? Yeah, it, it's it's always cheaper to keep her. It's always better to to work with the building stock. You know, um, I, I've I've heard the analogy of uh, um, if if you have a, a gas guzzler truck, and um, it, it's better to drive that truck than to buy a new vehicle because you're actually putting more energy into the new vehicle than you're. And 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 I and I can't I cannot argue with that, um, but and and so there are good methods now that we can take an existing building and and really make improvements with it and mostly with with um, spray foam insulation. Um, it it seals all those cracks. But to to spray foam a house, yeah, you you have to you have to have it gutted. You know, it, it's it's a major major renovation. Um, you can um, go into the attic and in, in, on Long Island homes or just about all homes, the ceiling is the thermal layer and the roof is the weather layer. Um, you really want those two together. You, you don't want them separate. But on Long Island, it, it's crazy that the ceiling is the thermal layer and then you have high hats and whatnot. So on the second floor of your house, if you have a one-story house, your ceiling the, the attic is outside. So it, it may not rain in there, but the attic is outside. So what's between you and outside is a sheet of sheetrock and some crappy insulation between the ceiling joists. That's what's between you and the outside. And then you put hi-hats in and air vents and you're blowing holes in it left and right. It's, it's, it's crazy. To me, that's totally insane. So if you were going into a house that you wanted, that you were going to renovate and you weren't going to gut it. Um, you would take the insulation. We've done this multiple times. Take the insulation out of the ceiling and spray foam between the roof rafters. And now we've taken the thermal layer and we brought it up to the weather layer and we combined the two. And now your attic is inside. This this should be, and, and this is a foreign thought to, 
conventional builders. There should be nothing inside the weather envelope that's not conditioned. If it's the basement, it should be conditioned. If it's the attic, it should be conditioned. If it's inside the, the siding and roofing, it should be conditioned. There should be no spaces like that that are unconditioned. Um, people have thought that that's more expensive. I don't want to cool the attic. Well, it, it's right over your head. You really want to move that up and out. Um, and, and that has worked well. So can I get the house to net zero? Not really. Um, it, it's expensive. And then I have to put in a, a, an energy recovery ventilator. It's mechanical ventilator because now the house is, it, I've made it so tight that now I, I really worry about mold and whatnot. Um, so it, it's got to be able to breathe. Hi, Beanie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so you, you've mentioned spraying the attic. Um, there was something I remember you told me about a while back, although I don't know if it relates directly to this or for something else where you talked about uh like this kind of air check you can do where you shove something and it and exposes all of the holes in your house um, yeah so a, a blower door test so what what they're going to do is you, you know you close all the windows and, and they put in if you're in front of a computer you just google blower door test you'll see this thing you put in the doorway and it's got a big fan in it and they depressurize the house to um 50 pascals and then a manometer can tell how much air is passing over the fan. However much air is passing over the fan and going out, that's how much air is leaking in. So you, you get a report that, that says something like, you have a 21 by 21 inch hole in your house at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Which and, is the collective, all right, of the they, little holes. They put it all together and, and, and then you could do directed insulation where um, it, it works best on a really, really cold day. Um, and you turn the heat up in the house and you put on the blower door test. And then you walk around with an infrared uh, camera and you can see the jets of cold air coming in every single place where they are. You can see them around outlets. You can see them at windows, um, doors. And now you, it's targeted. Now you're gonna, I'm gonna go after that outlet. I'm gonna take the outlet cover up. I'm gonna foam it. I'm gonna stick the membrane on. I'm gonna put back. Oh, look, it stopped leaking. Next, um, and and that can be really, really effective. It's it's labor intensive, but there's right now there's um, many companies on Long Island doing that work, and you can get it paid for um, with the PACE program, Property Assessed Clean Energy, where. Uh, you can it just gets added onto your um, your property taxes. It's a loan, but it's it's really well worked out. Where the company comes, they assess your house, they determine the amount of work that has to be done, what that's going to cost, and the payback, and they structure this whole loan that gets tacked onto your property taxes. You sell the house, it goes it goes with the house. Um, it's a great program. It was invented here on Long Island, and now it's national. Uh, Fannie Mae had a problem with it because they said they're supposed to be the prime lien holder. Oh, you're technically adding another. Tech yeah, and, yeah. and we were like, well, when you put in a sewer district, there's a lien on the house. We, we fought it in court for a year. And we finally won. Jeez. So now it, it's it's across the country. It was started in Babylon Town, and it's it's a national program. And now there's a commercial version. 
Um, so it's it, it's a great program for retrofitting buildings, and it pretty much generated this entire industry of um, building anal analysis people. They'll go in, do the blower door test, figure out where the house is leaking, and then do targeted insulation. It, and is the idea that somewhere in there is that same kind of um, like ROI, where like there's a an estimate on reduction of heating costs that that like they can pretty you know, with a, with a reasonable estimate, say you're going to end up effectively making this back in X amount of years from this. So that's the key is that the amount of the loan has to be less than the energy savings in dollars. So it's a net positive flow for the building owner because it's worked out that way. Um, so if you're, you're paying $500 a month for energy and you get a, a, a loan that reduces your energy bill down to $100 a month, and that loan's $300 a month. Now you're paying $400 a month and you used to pay five. So yeah, that's, it, a, that's a really, it's a really smart program. It's really well it's targeted. It's really well done. It's very well done. And like I said, it, this was invented by Steve Ballone, Sammy Chu, and Dorian Dale in Suffolk County. Invented. Adam, I'm curious because I obviously, I, so I live in, in Brooklyn. So this this doesn't necessarily apply to me. Also, I'll but now, now it's afford. nationwide. Yeah, I'll definitely never be able to afford an apartment in Brooklyn. So I'm, I, my landlord might take advantage of it, but, but I won't be. Yeah, um, landlords can be better. But, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious, Adam, um, or, or Jim, if you guys have heard of this program before. Um, I, I haven't, but you can be sure I just Googled it <laughs> as soon as it was mentioned. Like my, my house was built in 76. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure there's all sorts of improvements I can do to both make it energy efficient and probably circulate air a little bit more. Uh, it seems like we, we have a buildup of humidity randomly. Um, but yeah, like, so these are, these are, these are all things that are like appealing to me as I'm listening. I'm like, yes, I could put spray in all the outlets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I had actually at one point went looking for uh, kind of like in a pre-cut foam uh, backing things, but yeah. my outlets have a, I guess a, an odd design where they have like a solid rectangle in the center rather than kind of the two circles. So I couldn't find a pattern that matched. Oh well. yes. I mean, yes. I'm sure it exists, but yeah. You so, yeah. Core outlets. Yes. I, I think they make, they make gaskets for those. I'm, sh I'm sure they, they do. Should. So it, it, the people that do the, the blower door tests and analyzing the building, they're all um, BPI building performance Institute approved certified. So what I like about this is that they all have the same training. And, and I, I know 10, 15 companies on Long Island, and they all pretty much do the same thing the same way because they all have to be BPI certified and they're trained the same way. And when people say, who do you like, you know, as an energy consultant, I'm like, pick anybody that's BPI certified. Um, and, and so, Adam, you could, you could just... Um, Look up BPI certified contractors and you'll get a, you put in your zip code and you'll get a list. I'll definitely take a peek. Sounds, sounds like it's in there. He, he, he I, lives in another place. So he is probably going to ask you, uh, and, uh, if, you if this one's good. Don't spend the dime, Adam. All of this stuff is not out of pocket, zero out of pocket. Zero up front. Yes. That's, you see, that, PS, that's, you're talking PS my language. PSE&G <laughs> will pay for the blower door test. Um, and then you can use pace to do the work. It, it, it's, it should cost you nothing out of pocket. 
That that sounds all right. Cause you know, I like you know, in the past I've kind of like looked into things like solar. That sounds like something that's interesting because I use a lot of electricity, but I don't have a lot of roof space, probably not enough. Uh, you know, I've I've been looking into little things here and there, but I haven't actually moved on anything. There's a lot of options now when it comes to solar. A lot of people don't have a great roof, but you can still um put solar, use solar, you can use um, community, it's called um, community supported solar, community active. So large buildings are putting huge arrays on their roofs, more than they can use. And then you could say, I want to buy 10 kW of your array. And, yeah. and, yeah. and again, there's, there's no money out of pocket. You'll, you'll get a loan. You'll start receiving the benefits from it. You'll pay the loan monthly. But again, what you pay for your loan plus whatever you have left on your electric bill should be total less than what you were paying your electric bill before. Yeah. That also sounds all right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this is all like, you know, I don't, I always money don't. flow in rather than out is, <laughs> is always uh, something I'm into. Um, don't, don't cut down trees for solar um, because the trees work really well in keeping your house cool. So if you have shade on your roof, fine. If you have a, a, a roof that the sun beats on all day, put solar on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I did have trees. They were not eliminated due to solar desires, but um, they have slowly vanished from my property. So do do have sun most of the day. Okay, well, you know, if, if you have um, southwest, um, south, southwest, southeast, um, yeah, um, I mean, I, I have 15 kilowatts on my house. I don't make enough electricity, um, but in, in the summertime, my, my bill is normally five, six hundred dollars, and my my bill's fifty bucks in the summer. So it, it, it sounds it, pretty it, good. It's, I mean, and my my loan for my solar, it's a twelve year loan, is two forty five a month. So it, it it works out good. You know, the the winter time, um, I'm still making solar. Um, but I'm not using that much electricity, but I, my bill's usually about 150 um, over the winter. And then in the summertime, as soon as right around this time of year, um, April, May, June, man, we kick butt with the solar. And what is the, um, what's the lifespan of the solar these days? What do you, what well, do you they're think? Saying thir- they're saying 30 years, but um, they really don't, um, they don't just stop working. They, um, they become less efficient. And and the the anchoring the, the rails and everything that's attached to the roof that that that's like forever. So maybe in thirty years they have really really efficient panels. Your, your panels start you know not being not working as well. Um, then then you you may want to replace the panels. But your you, the loan is twelve, so you're going to get a, a solid you know eighteen years of positive cash flow um, of, from those panels. Let me see if I can find my enlightenment. Light. So today was today was kind of a cloudy day, but let's see now. <laughs> I don't know. Why is that so washed out? There it is. It's oh, coming God. in a little bit. Uh, yeah. it, it's uh, the camera's having trouble dealing with the yeah, light. Camera. Well, this is my really cheap Logitech camera. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, yeah. There it goes. I saw. So I can see when you time, had sun. That's time across the bottom and um, watts uh, on, the, on the vertical axis. So today was kind of a sketchy day, but we made some juice. You still got some even 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 through that, right? 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it, the way it's structured, it's it, they want to keep you out of being out of out of the electric business. So it, it, it's it's structured that if you make more on an annual basis than you use, they have to buy it back from you, but they buy it back from you at the wholesale rate, which is what they pay, like Mohawk Niagara, three cents a kilowatt hour. Um, you know, PSEG sells it to you for nineteen cents a kilowatt hour. So it's, quite it, the it it's structured to not, so you, you don't want to go into the electric business. Right, right, uh, um, right, right. Because I mean, and they're, I mean, I'm not going to argue how much they, they're owed, but there is an infrastructure they do have to support with that money. So, well, and that's, that's the quantity that they have in California right now. There's so much solar in California, residential solar, that they've started this grid use fee because um, they're losing money. And, and they're still maintaining the grid um, and people who have solar, like I use the grid. The, the, if I'm making more electricity than I'm using on a daily basis, it's going out on the grid. So I'm using the grid and, and so far PSC and G hasn't started that, but only like 2% of the house customers on Long Island have solar. In California, it's a little bit higher and they've started that grid usage fee. So it, it's, it, it, I, that may be coming, who knows? Um, but I think that in general, um, I'm, I'm the founding member of the Green Building Council here, and they're like the best resource for, for green buildings, um, USGBC. Um, so I, I encourage everyone to go there. Go, go to the USGBC website, um, take a look at it, become a member, become a local member. It's always, it's really cheap to be a member of the local chapter, and you get like, tons and tons of info um you know everybody lives in a house most people work in a in a building commercial buildings totally different critter um and and i have equal emphasis um towards commercial buildings you know it's interesting jimmy those those buildings behind you yeah would probably never call for heat even in the winter new york city buildings um heat is not really an issue um it's cooling it's really easy to, to, to heat those buildings with the people and the machines that are in. Them. So it's, it, when you talk about like large commercial buildings, it, it's, it's, it's going from, you know, uh, as a veterinarian, you know, you're working on a dog to working on a giraffe. It's just two completely different, completely different things. Right. But now that, you, now that you're really good at trapping it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, and there's, there's some great, at least, at least when you get into commercial work, we get to lean on some really great engineers. Like I can't hire an engineer to do the engineering on a, on a residential build. I, they, they, I couldn't pay them enough to do the work. Um, so I do it all myself. Um, but when you get to a commercial building, now I can hire engineer engineers to, man, to check that way, to check that building over nine ways from Sunday, do all sorts of crazy design stuff and put, really push the limits. Um, I, for residential, I do it all my, myself. I, I select the equipment, I size the equipment, I, I select the runs, the distribution runs, size all the distribution runs. Um, it's, um, I, I would love to hire someone to do that, but I can't. I could try, but there's, there's no one out there that would do it. I, I, and engineers don't, aren't versed in residential construction. There's, they, you know, no one's going to hire a, an architect and then a mechanical engineer. <laughs> it's just it's hard enough to get them to hire an architect. I would assume for commercial buildings, they're really 
you know, any new commercial building, there's not much pushback around, like there's not that barrier of initial cost on a commercial building because the people building them, it's all about, you know, the total cost of ownership over the lifetime of that. It, it depends that if, it's a, if it's a developer who's developing the property to sell it, they don't give a crap. Um, but in, in commercial work, there's uh, the shame factor, which corporations want to really look green. Um, and uh, they really want to, you know, don't, don't want to get out there that they're energy pigs these days. So they have their limits, Will. <laughs> they, until, until all of a sudden, oh, that's, no, that's way too much. We're not doing, we're not, we're not doing a, a rainwater harvesting system. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, you, you can get, you, as long as you, you make the business case, um, it's going to cost you this much. The return on investment is that, um, and the the uh, bump benefits are that. You make that case to to a, a business client, and they they'll accept. Are there um, are there aesthetic trade offs that come into play that people are unwilling to budge on? That in order to make a building, you know, as efficient as possible for you know a reasonable budget, it has to be aesthetically a certain way, or is that not really the case? No, it, it really isn't. I, I remember my old boss at the time, there was a Honda Civic, which was like the standard. They never changed the body, but they made it a hybrid. And then they, the Prius just came out. It was a totally different design. And I remember him saying to a client once, "You can, we can make you a Civic or we can make you a Prius. <laughs> so, um, no, to answer your question, it, it really, um, it, the aesthetic does not so much get driven. I mean, I, I'm working on a, a net zero energy home in Shoreham now, a new home. And the as long as I have the roof that I want to get the solar on, and I have control of the envelope, the look is, I, I can make it look any way I want or any way they want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. I, I, I assume that there would need to be some adherence to a certain form to make this work, but it's, it's cool to know that that's not the case. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with a salt box home. No. no. Okay. It was it, it, a salt box house is um, a colonial. It was, it was built here back in the 1600s, the 1500s. So if you take a look at a salt box, it, it has a two story facade that faces South. Then it has a long, low sloping roof that faces North. Now that's to get the north winds to carry up and over and the south catches all the sun in, in, in winter and summer. And then there's a central core of masonry. So people would say like, I don't like the way that looked back then, but that shape is a really efficient shape. Um, nowadays, I can do a salt box and people would consider it classical and, and traditional, but back then it was, it was radical. Um, and, and so as long as, as long as you face it the right way, uh, a lot, now people will want a salt box irrelevant of its orientation. <laughs> you, and I try to explain it, you know, this is really efficient if you face it the right way, but if you face it the wrong way, it's really inefficient. You know, you have this big two-story wall getting slammed by Northwest uh, winter winds, and then you, you're losing all that great sun that, so uh, there's there's one in in Setauket, right down the street from Mario's that they moved. It was an existing house with 1600s, and they moved it there, and and they faced it the wrong way. 
like like just something no one thought of but they just played it purely off of aesthetics without considering anything is that what you think happened yeah i, I don't think they understood the the brilliant engineering of a salt box home it's engineered beautifully and it was engineered just by by people just figuring it out like it's nice to have that winter sun reach all the way into your house isn't it and and how do we do that well let, let's put two-story window let's put a south facade that goes up two stories and yeah it, it, it's it's and and then having a long low sloping roof on the west north and west side it's kind of like turning your collar up to a winter wind it really helps the house tremendously that when the wind blows over a house there's a there's a, a a layer of air that stays a laminar layer that stays near the surface and if you can keep the wind from breaking into that that layer um it, it's it, it the cold doesn't transmit as much so if you can get the wind to blow up and over in a laminar fashion it, it helps the building so much as opposed to having the wind come you know down from canada and slam into the, the side of your building first thing it hits so um, it, it, it's a great shape and it, it's simple and it's totally passive and it works really well. It's really um, interesting that, that this was a thing that was solved just from a kind of practicality, pragmatic standpoint before there were any like fluid dynamic simulations to figure out that laminar, you know, laminar flow of air is going to be this insulating uh, layer, right? Like it's interesting, right. that, you know, it, this is just an experiential thing of like, oh, it'll work better if we do it this way. Yeah, and, and I don't know if they were built in Europe. Um, the, the only experience I have with salt box homes is, is here in America and in the Northeast. So, yeah, it was something that, man, I, you know, maybe it's, it's when, um, you know, if you were setting, pitching a tent, you want to know which way the wind's blowing, like a lean-to, and you'd say, you know, put that side into the ground and let this, uh, yeah, people figured it out intuitively. Um, and it, it's, it, it, it works. I mean, like I said, it, it's as close as you can get to passive. And I, you know, back in the seventies, we were, you know, passive houses, you know, no machines. Let, let, um, I can't make them work. I cannot make them work. I need to have machines. So it's, it's the active um, participation, participation between the envelope and equipment, and, and they have to be merged together. Um, and, and to do that, um, it, it, it's a bit of engineering, but that's how you get to net zero. It's, I can't do it passive. So anyone that you know, tells you like, oh, it's a passive solar home, um, get ready for 15, 20 days a year that it just does not work. And, and you know, when it's your residence and it just doesn't work, um, it's a problem. <laughs> so you're going to have some kind of backup system. We throw them out no passive we, we you know the envelope is as good as it can get and then the equipment that we put in um heat pumps are have come so far and now i exclusively use heat pumps general rule the fuel of the future is electricity that that's it we got we're gonna have one fuel going forward it's electricity done everything now is gonna be electric so we used to worry about, oh, uh, hot water, uh, we have to use electric resistance for hot water. No, we can use a heat pump. Um, and heat pumps for heating and cooling, it's the same machine. Um, they've gotten incredibly efficient. So they, they have a number, it's the COP, the coefficient of performance. So all a heat pump does is it 
it just moves thermal energy. It doesn't matter if it's moving it from outside to inside or inside to outside. It doesn't matter. It moves thermal energy. And I know Jim and I, we've had this discussion about the Freon loop and how does that work and whatnot. Um, it, it, it can move four to five times. If we could equate electricity to thermal energy, and, and we, you know, we turn it into watts, we turn it into BTUs, whatever it is, it can move four to five times the amount of energy with one unit of energy. So with one unit of energy, it can pull five units of energy either from the house or from outside and throw it in the house. And that's amazingly efficient um, as opposed to burning something that's just a one-time use. Um, and as long as we're making our, our electricity with solar, it's, it's all electric. So we can do a clothes dryer. We can use a heat pump. Uh, refrigerator is a heat pump. Um, hot water, heat pump. Everything's on a heat pump. Um, and um, it, 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 um, some of these companies have really, I mean, they're saying they can get coefficient of performance up to 14 right now um, on the bench, which is really going to come down the pike. Um, and, and so that, that technology is important. So it's not passive, it's active. No, it's not electric resistance. It's, it's heat pump. It's leveraging the thermal energy from inside to outside. All you got to do is move it. You know, you know, we, we, we're not going to make energy. We're, we're just going to move it around. And if, if you think we can't pull, um, heat from 20 degree air, absolutely. Um, those coils going out there, they, those coils may be, you know, zero degrees. And when they hit that 20 degree air, they're getting warmed. And all you need is that difference in temperature. And the better the difference in temperature, um, the more efficient it is. I'm not a fan of um, what we call geothermal, but it's, that's really a misnomer, geothermal. Um, it's really ground source heat pumps. They're heat pumps, but they're using ground source for it. Oh, not that they're not efficient. Uh, they're incredibly efficient. It's the cost of the wells. So the equipment's the same. The, the equipment's going to cook, whether it's a, a ground source heat pump or an air source heat pump, those machines basically cost me the same thing. The wells are going to cost me $20,000 a well. You can spend $60,000 on wells. Um, to me, that's a problem. So if they are more efficient, so if I'm looking for a big difference between standard or traditional heating and cooling and what I can do, I need the biggest difference between those two. And when, when do we need that? When we're going for LEED certification, because the bigger difference you get between standard and what you did, the more points you get. If LEED is a point system. So if we're going for a lot of points and the customer really wants to get LEED certification, we'll, we'll put in a geothermal system. But um, it, it, it's, it's expensive. That, you know, that's where it's like the payback. Eh, it's not really that great, but you know, something we, it, it was the difference between being lead gold and lead platinum. And some people, they want that lead platinum. So we'll use the heat pumps. Got it. So, so, so digging the wells um, is great in one sense, but so cost prohibitive. You, you expect most people, the other one is to, to, to put coils effectively outside and pull. Yeah. And, and before air to air heat pumps got, so efficient, geothermal was the only game in town when you wanted to get. Now the technology has gotten so good with the air-to-air -air heat pumps that water source heat pumps, it's just not necessary anymore. But like I said, if people really, really wanted to, you know, the, the advantage to the ground source is that you're always dealing with 55 degrees, always. You know, middle of January, you're dealing with 55 degrees. 
Whereas the, the air source heat pumps, they have to be more versatile. They need to be able to extract air from 20 degree air. Um, so they need to be a little bit more versatile. But the equipment is about the same. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I remember you talking about the heat pump. So you're saying it was always, uh, it's far more efficient to move energy around than to create it <laughs> or to right. heat, I should say. Um, and uh, uh, so you see, you that's right. You see the future is basically, um, you need something to, to, to get the heat pumps moving. That's going to be electricity you pull from solar. So as long as solar can move, the, can, can become the, the energy that drives this engine, this is, this is the most uh, efficient way to get to the zero energy home uh, with the least amount of uh, like energy spent or output. Okay. Yeah. And, and I have several systems running now in, in net zero energy's homes that I've done and they run really great. Uh, there, there's uh, one of the last ones I finished. Um, the equipment wasn't ready. Uh, it was coming from Sweden. And my client, he's, he's an engineer, he's an electrical engineer. He put in temporarily an electric water heater, you know, like the same kind of water heater you would just use to, you know, for domestic hot water. And this is electric resistance and it's 4,800 watts. And this house is 2,800 square feet. And that water heater heated the entire house for two years through a really nasty winter, one of them. Um, and essentially that is uh, 4,800 watts is four blow dryers, four 1,200 watt blow dryers heated that house. So we originally started back then with that house to use ground source heat pumps, but the analysis, my analysis of the house determined that we only need 2.9 tons of heating or cooling. It's either way. Um, and we could not find a ground source heat pump that small. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, you're you're blowing past these numbers in every yeah. yeah yeah we and so but we could find an air air source heat pump three tons beautiful put it in and it, it provides one of one of the best features is that as it's extracting heat from your house in the summertime it's 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 taking that heat and it's making hot water and you get free showers free hot water in the summertime because the hot water is a byproduct that normally you would have to expel that heat somehow. Or, or heat a pool, maybe? <laughs> or, yeah, or you, you literally have free free hot water. Yeah, I remember going, going over to your heat pump on your pool yeah. um, in the middle of summer and putting your, your hand over the top and saying, well, I feel that cool air. Wouldn't it be smart to dump this heat from the pool or, or pull the heat from the house? And dump it into the pool. Right. And then you said something else like, and then pull the cool and shove it back. Right. Right. I mean, you, you just, there's a, a, an apartment building in New York City down in Battery Park, um, the Solaire. And, and New York City apartments, big apartment buildings, uh, you know, 14B is calling for cooling and 9C wants heat. And what they figured out was we're going to turn on the heat and the cooling all year, both running simultaneously but they're going to swap heat. And it's amazing how efficient that building is. And the, the best compliment in the entire building, people say it's comfortable. It's a comfortable, the, the rents from that building are through the roof. People can't get in, they never have a vacancy in that building. I just so, looked it up. It's $8,000 a month for the equivalent of my apartment there. <laughs> well, well, but, but I mean, always perfect temperature sounds pretty amazing. I'll be honest. <laughs> I, even my one building, year in New York city, I, uh, 
I, I, I did the every, I think everyone does top floor windows open in the middle of the winter. Like, right? God, I hope, I hope it's extra cold tonight. Cause I'm sweating right now. <laughs> I, I tried to warn you, Jim. It was so <laughs> bad. The pre-war <laughs> buildings in, in New York city. Holy so, crap. Was that, was that an old building? Jim? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so these old buildings, they have what's called a mono pipe. And so the, Downstairs is a pot of water boiling, and over the pot of water is a pipe, and the pipe goes up to your apartment. And, <laughs> and so the steam goes up, and it hits the radiator, and, and as the heat comes out of the steam and the water condenses, it trickles down the very same pipe. But the problem is it passes right by the floor, first floor, the second floor, the third floor, and it goes to the top. That's where steam goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some, some New York City buildings, they get Con Ed steam. And and which is a you know it, it, it's bizarre that Con Ed you know they boil water to make electricity and every power plant needs a way to take their steam and get it back down to water and the way Con Ed did it was they sent the steam all over the city and up into buildings <laughs> to take the heat out of it and now return it to us as water um, and and, and it, people who have city steam Con Ed steam in New York City is like yeah crank the heat up. <laughs> yeah because because i mean that they're looking at they're looking to get rid of it um that is, that is interesting you know i i definitely had a, a room or two where if i left the the bedroom door closed during the day like if i if, if there was something like there was like a poster on the wall it would like peel off like it was just it would get <laughs> oppressively like i had to leave the doors open because when that heat went it just it just went and yes. and there's no dial. It's like the heat's on. Well, I don't. The only option is turning the radiator off. Yeah. And oh then, yeah, manually. And, and, and then it's and then it's 12 degrees because there's no insulation. <laughs> now you got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you like more? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> that is a uh, that is pretty. Interesting. The um the 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 steam um, piping through New York City that feels like a kind of a, a smart way to to efficiently deal with a problem, right? Like you you are providing this thing that people would otherwise have to burn fuel for themselves, um, you know, and you're yeah, just doing it at scale in an efficient manner. Yeah, I mean, even though Con Ed's plants, they're, they're all along the river and you always see power plants near water because they use the water to condense the steam. And, and they thought that this is this is a much better system. And it is, it's an amazing system, um, except every now and then when a steam line goes in the street, there was one about 10 years ago. With, I, I mean, it was a crater. The guy was, the truck was at the bottom of the hole. The steam was shooting out. <laughs> oh God, the, guy, the guy's cooked like a lobster. Oh my God. Yeah, gotta but, watch out for that. <laughs> I also, uh, when, you, when you mentioned these, uh, <laughs> uh salt boxes before i could just imagine you know uh charles smith going around in like 1650 with like here's how much wood you have to chop down this winter if you use this home here's how much wood you'll have to chop <laughs> he's giving these demonstrations yeah and, and you know a, a bit a big part of that is having a big hunk of masonry in the center of the home and you light the fire in that if you see so many houses on long island the fireplace is at the end of the house. Yeah. And all the masonry is all the masonry is outside. The whole idea of the mason fireplace is to get that masonry hot. So part part of being comfortable is thermal mass. The more mass you have at a comfortable temperature, 
the more it will modulate what's around you. So to put that big thermal mass in the middle of that salt box, get a good fire burning in it, you get the masonry, you know, even just reasonably warm and you're good because it weigh, it's so much weight that it holds that, that, that temperature so well. Thermal mass is really a key. So when we go back to passive houses, you, you had to fill the freaking house with thermal mass. I mean, concrete floors and trom walls and water. And, and then you had to make sure the sun was going to get it to a temperature and keep it there. Because once all that thermal mass got cold, you didn't have any means for heating it back up. So, you know, the, the houses that I do, um, they have concrete walls, um, they have concrete floors, and then there's active heating piping in the floors. And you keep those floors at 70 degrees and the house is constantly golden. So if the temperature outside goes, you know, from 50 degrees and you have the heat on, if it drops down to 20, it really does not affect the, the heating of the house. The boiler won't run more. It, it, it just continues to modulate. Um, and, and it, you know, the, the mass is critical. If we have to take the mass out, we don't have concrete floors, we don't have concrete walls. Uh, I can use structural insulated panels, they're foam panels with plywood on both sides, it's a sandwich. We build the walls out of that. Now, the only thing I have then for thermal mass is the water. It's just the water in the pipes and the floor. Not as robust, but it can still work really well. So those are, so those are my two go-to methods for residential. I assume that one's like a, a cheaper option. Is that why people- Structural insulated panels is, is cheaper than than uh, structure, uh, than insulated concrete forms. Yeah. yeah. But um, sometimes you don't, and I, I always use a combination if I use, do insulated concrete forms, walls. I always do it SIP panel roof. You, you want to match the R value. You want to match the R value of the walls all the way around. You want, you want the same R value in the roof, the same R values in the walls, the same R value in the basement. You're not going to get the same in the windows, but you got to get as high as you can around the windows. Now you have solid envelope. If, if you have you know an, an R43 wall and an R19 roof, I tell people it's like putting on a really great coat and going outside without a hat. Yeah. You're going to be cold. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so someone wants to get into this. I mean, this isn't just architecture. This is a obviously a very specific field. Is this, um, is this like a hard thing to get into? Do you see this? Like, do you, I mean, I don't know what your sense is of like, uh, uh, um, the industry from, from, you know, where jobs are coming, but you know, what, what would be your, your take of, do you see the industry, uh, uh, is this like an exploding new sub part of uh, uh, architecture or is this like just not getting the attention it deserves and it's still very much underrepresented? What do you, what do you feel? You know, I, I'm seeing um, undergraduate degrees in sustainability and master's degrees in sustainability. It really has nothing to do with architecture. Um, so I think you can, you, you can move into sustainability without going into architecture. Uh, these days, no architect ain't green. Um, so no one's going to tell you, no, I don't, I don't do that green stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I teach part-time at New York tech for design and, you know, they're all like hyped up on, on, on let's do green stuff. And like, um, well, well, that's great. And it's really wonderful, but there's still an undercurrent of, um, I'm pretty much going to do anything I want. <laughs> so, 
they're not really driven by it un until they get to um, the, te the class that I teach is project integration, and then they get a rude awakening. Of like why reality well, isn't just everything green all the time and why you can't well, just run out there and yeah yeah they're all about the aesthetics you know so they they want it to look the way you know they want it to look the way they want and then i say to them that's really great but where's the equipment going to go mechanical equipment and it's not even a thought it's not even a thought and, and traditionally in my profession architects design the building and then they hand it off to an engineer and, and the engineer has to figure out how to shove in the equipment underneath a stairwell or in a freaking crawl space. Or um, I, I sit down with my engineers to do a commercial building and I say, I, here's the program. This is what we need to build. Where do you want to put the equipment? And they never know the answer. They never know. And, and the reason they never know is because no one ever asked people to tell them where to put the equipment. And I'm like, no, you get to pick where you, where do you want the equipment? If you can finally get the engineer to answer you, they're going to say, well, I want to be right in the middle of the building. So all my runs are really short. Great. Let's do that. No, that's Main Street. That's that's rentable space. Take a breath. Let's do it and see how it looks. And it works out incredibly good. So like it's already beat into them the reasons why they can't have what they want. So they've stopped even there's not even a thought that they ever get what they want. Not, not, not even a thought. Not, not even a thought. That, <laughs> like, the architect's going to tell them what's left after I design the building. You can have the space that's left for the mechanical system. And a lot of time they push back. It's not enough. I need more. And then we got. Uh, uh, but you still, it's under a stairwell. It's shoved in a corner. It's, it's never their best design. That's uh, that's really similar to how the like automotive industry works, where you have the, the designers who design, you know, the way they want the car to look, and then they hand it off to the engineers, like, yeah, figure out how you how it drives, right? And how, to make, how to make it, it run, and that's how you get like cars where you have to pull the engine to change spark plugs, right? Because like, well, that's the only way it was going to fit. I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do. And and the engineers made it work. They did. They yep. made it yeah. work, and, and they they made their compromises to make it work, but. Um, if we started out with the engineer or the mechanic who had to change those spark plugs, he would say, well, no, can't the fenders fold out or something? Or, you know, um, and you, you'd end up with a better product. Yeah. Engin engineers and architects, they're, they're, they, they, they need to, you know, to, it's, it's the difference between integrated design. Traditional design is the architect designs the building and then, and then everyone follows. Integrated design is, we don't design a thing. We all stand shoulder to shoulder, and now we're all going to take the first step, and then we're all going to take the second. And all your design decisions are all heavily loaded up front, um, and the final product is better. It, it, it's so much, but it's really tough to find. I have a handful of engineers I could do integrated design with, mostly engineers that started out as skeptics, and I asked them, where do you want the equipment to go? And then at the end of the project, they were like, that worked out really good. Yeah, it did. Now you're on my side. <laughs> I just love the the resistance. Like, like what you're wasting my time, or this is like you're punk. Like this is like I'm getting punked right now. Like this is not yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like oh come on, it's a crazy art. Yeah, you're gonna tell me. I'm gonna tell you, and then you're gonna go do what you want. Like I don't need you. I don't need you to be the hundredth time this is happening to me, right? Kind of thing. But, yeah. I, but I always look on the team on the job team for the biggest skeptic because over the past forty years, I find they end up being the biggest advocate when we're all done. And, and now we got them forever. Right. 
now 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 they're leaning in on the next project and they're coming Absolutely. to you instead of having to pull teeth right yeah and now now i use them exclusively that is really interesting yeah it's it, you know engineers especially mechanical engineers it's they they have it difficult and but you know it's an amazing field an amazing profession and i don't know what they know and their training is and i i i need to know enough to have an intelligent conversation with them but their training is is above and beyond far i mean they spend four years just doing that shit i spent six months uh, in school um so yeah it's it, 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 it's heavy duty stuff especially mechanical people you know young people tell me they you know what should i what do I, i'm like if you if you go get a degree in mechanical engineering you're golden i mean right now there's there's two million engineering jobs just sitting there interesting oh. well i i we i've been peppering you with questions uh do you guys uh uh anything um from you guys i know uh any any other questions i should say from you guys i, I want to know jim have you seen my new car no what do you have i got, got a model three you have a model three i was really expecting after this you were gonna like it was gonna be some like v12 like <laughs> three, mi three miles to the gallon you're like look i paid off i paid off my carbon taxes with all this stuff um, <laughs> I, I i got a diesel truck and I, i'm setting it up for coal rolling <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i got the model three uh last week tomorrow holy crap do you love it i love it uh, it's 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 incredible i got the uh full self-driving package yeah the 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 um it's like it's all pure software right like it, it's i mean it's just well, a software to, update right it's like a software I, unlock right yeah oh absolutely i've already had two updates uh, uh, upgrades uh, when i go to pick the car up you know i, I didn't have any contact at all I did everything online I, I go to pick the car up and and there's a, a person there he says let me just tell you just think about this as an app it's an app it's an app that, that <laughs> hooked up to a car and and he's right it, it the whole car is an app it, <laughs> it's um it, it's it's really well thought out i mean so we're gonna see you on the passenger seat on the expressway taking a nap <laughs> <laughs> i see i see that on instagram and, and i can't you can't do that <laughs> it won't it, it every over intervals it it says essentially i want to know you're there uh and especially if something on the road like if a car comes near you or if there's a curve It'll say, hey, I want to know you're there. And if you don't, it just stops. Like big red light comes on the screen, boop, boop, take over, take over. And it doesn't, it'll just, it won't get rear-ended, but it'll just stop. Right. It'll come to a comfortable, it'll, it won't just slam on the brakes, but it'll clearly signal it's gonna pull over and do all that I'm, stuff. And then yeah, you, you take over. And and yeah, so but uh, it, it the, the stuff that it does do just just blows my mind. I mean, it's 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 so easy to use. I mean, that's that's what it, it's a, a product that's really easy. It, 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 it's like the, the best product I ever bought, not the best car I ever bought. It's the best product I ever bought. Like it just it's everything's intuitive. Everything's easy. Everything's um, reduced tasks on, on the driver. It's, it's phenomenal. I mean, even the, the windshield wipers, everything, everything is so easy to use. If, if you have a program for more than one person, um, the other person just approaches the car to get in. The mirrors adjust, the seat adjusts, the steering wheel adjusts, knows who that person is. It's really well done. And it's really fast. Yeah, what is it? There's the, the, uh, 100% whatever that... percent torque. Yeah, there you go. Instantly, yeah. It's a uh, 0 to 60, 2.9. <laughs> 
And it's the Model 3. This isn't, this not, isn't even like... That's not the performance package. <laughs> I mean, you're going to smoke uh, at, at most cars, even most sports cars with that, with that number, right? I mean, that is, you know, uh, uh, like... A friend of mine has a VET VO6. He's like, wow, I'm 3.3. <laughs> I would take you off the line, my friend. <laughs> that's wild. So that that that's that's a lot. Of fun. And then go back to reading my book as the car drove me the rest of the way. Yeah, you know, I it, it, I use autopilot a lot, um, but it's it's like if if someone texts you while you're driving and you put it on autopilot, you can reach down, pick up your phone. Um, you, you know that if anyone does anything stupid, the car's going to deal with it. It's not like you're, you're losing complete attention. Right, um, right. You're I'm still I'm facing still forward. It's not like you can turn the, the seat sideways and watch a movie. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> but it lets, it lets you look at the phone. It lets you get the top off your coffee with two hands. It, you know what I'm saying? It's simple shit. It, it's just, that really adds up, right? It just makes it a it better really experience. Adds up. Yeah, it really is. I, I got to imagine I, in like dead traffic, letting it do the stop and go has to just be like a massive, like mental weight of just, I don't even have to. That's when I use it the most. Okay. Traffic is no longer an issue. Fuck is all. Now, if, if we're doing stop and go 20 miles an hour, stop 20 miles. Now I really won't pay attention at all. Yeah. It, it's like the car stops, the car goes, the car stops, the car goes, fine, we're doing great. If, you know. <laughs> It's it, 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 that's when it really, really because you, Jimmy, you know me. If I'm in traffic, I'm trying to figure out how to pass the guy in front of me. <laughs> yeah, you're doing the game. Of- when I get in front of him, I want to pass the guy in front of him. I want to get past the trap. Whereas with the auto auto steer, uh, I'm not driving. It, it doesn't matter. It's like someone else. I don't care about the traffic. I'll just check my phone. I'll I'll you know play with the radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're you're no longer losing. So it, it makes it easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not. I refuse to participate. If you see if you see people in other cars, you're 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 more uh, aligning with the passengers. Like, yeah, no, how, how this isn't so bad, right? I don't know why that guy's so pissed. Right? They, they sell they sell a bumper sticker that says "Don't beep at me." I'm probably not driving. <laughs> That's really awesome. No, that, that that I'll have to. I mean, I'm sure I'll see you uh, soon. So I get my second shot in early May and. I'm sure uh, I'll be around, especially since somewhere, you know, I'll be seeing you at the beach at a pretty regular basis. Right? Excellent. Yeah. I got two shots on board. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I think is everyone else here? Good. Well, you got both, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm fully vaccinated at this point. Yep. And you do. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the holdout apparently, although I got mine as soon as I could. So you guys are just quicker to the gate. Um, it, the, the ancillary benefits of, of being, um, obese is that, <laughs> uh, I, I had that comorbidity. <laughs> comorbidity. Ride that comorbidity. You know, you know, when, when this whole thing started, I said to myself, I could go on a crash diet and still this, if I got it, it'll still fucking kill me. So fuck it. If I, if I live through this, if I live through this, then I'll, I'll, I'll go back to lose somebody. <laughs> but yeah, it was a winter of, of, uh, yeah. Me I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't. I don't think the um, the COVID diet has been kind to anybody. Yeah, no, yeah. Just... You you got a different kind of. You got the other kind of COVID nineteen, right? You didn't get. You didn't get this. <laughs> yeah, I got the, like the COVID thirty. <laughs> yeah, what, what what nineteen are you guys talking about? Got COVID twenty seven over here. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, no. Uh, that's so. I'm that. That's really really awesome. I mean, that that car I've, I've always really liked, and uh, 
uh, I'm excited to see it. Um, so that's really, really okay. cool. You got, you got to drive it. Okay. It, it's, it's, a, it drive when you drive it manually, it drives differently than any other car. It drives like a golf cart. I mean, you've driven a golf cart uh-huh. and you know that like when you have your foot on the accelerating, you can take your foot off the golf cart, like comes to a stop. Yeah. That's what it does. So again, with the ease of driving, you pull up to a traffic light, you just let up, let up, let up the gas. You get to the light, you take your foot off the gas, you take to stop. You don't have to even hold your foot on the brake. Jesus. You're not even doing like the little, even that little switching is just becomes even that a dream. Little switching thing reduces fatigue. And then you don't even have to watch the light because the camera watches the light. And if you're not on autopilot, you're not on cruise control. When when the light turns green, it goes boom. No, it's it, it sees the light and it makes you gives you a little tone. You don't even have to watch. No, I'm like, this is wonderful. And boom, thank you. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's 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 um uh, you know i i i had the chevy volt last year uh-huh. i was up in in april and i turned it in and i didn't have a car for a year and I, when i saw this coming i'm like i ain't going nowhere <laughs> so i've literally been in the house for a year saving money for that car uh, smart move smart move <laughs> I've been driving you for a year. I'm getting a damn Model 3. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious if the, the city infrastructure will ever be able to support like large-scale electric vehicle deployments. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I have a car, but it's all street parking. So there's no way for me to charge it if I wanted to get an electric vehicle. Right. I'd have to go to like one of, you know, 10 charging stations in Brooklyn. To... And, yeah, and, 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 and who knows how close that is to your house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it, it 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 does work better when you you have yeah a house with a I mean I, I had the the charger for the vault so and then I found out I didn't even need that charger all I needed was the two twenty line going to the garage and they give you the rest. Yeah, you're right. So not so not city worthy, but but certainly outside of the city, well, where you can actually run your own power. You uh yeah yeah I don't know how they I don't know how you fix that in the city. I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah, so just can convince me that there's no reason I should have a car. That's why I'm living in the city. Yeah, but. I mean that that was the route you usually you're you're playing both sides of this, aren't you? How long? Yeah, so exactly. how long until uh until the uh, cars get what the phone has, where you just drive over a spot and it just starts charging? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, they, they were trying that um in like some what some Scandinavian country was trying to do like inductive uh, charging through in the, the roads. Yeah, yeah. It's actually a thing. Uh, it, it did not work out. It was very, very costly to keep, <laughs> to keep it. Ma- well, it turns out like keeping it maintained was just so, too expensive. So, you know, if, if you if you drove your car to work and there was charging there and then depending on on your ride, like I, I don't plug my car in every day. So it has 230 miles. So, you know, if I drive, you know, 50 miles a day, I, I, I don't charge it. Um, and, and if you could like get to work plug it in even two or three days a week especially if your employees paying for the juice <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you can get away with it not even really uh needing it at home if you can um, get to that right that's a good point yeah. yeah you're right you wouldn't necessarily have to move the charging at home you would just have to move it to where everyone's going um yeah and you, and you could you could solve that problem and now with the dc fast charge if it's a dc fast charge you can get a full charge in two hours jeez they just gotta make every parking spot at Ronkonkoma have a charger yeah yeah I, I think the garage has like two yeah right you know hopefully joe biden says we're, we're getting charging stations all over the country so two trillion dollars buys a lot of charging stations it does, sure as hell does. Yes. yeah 
<laughs> so ho hopefully, I mean, they're, they're talking about um, mail delivery vehicles, all electric school buses, all stop and go vehicles are the, the best for, for electric. With predefined yeah, pre routes with an absolute, like we know how far routes. they have to go. Um, yeah. Yeah. I still haven't tried. It has a summon command. <laughs> So it's gonna drive through, it's gonna drive through your garage wall. Yeah, you can park, park itself well, you in your living room. To, to you have summoned me, Master. It's like um, Jesus. <laughs> I haven't tried I haven't tried that yet. There's a lot of things I haven't tried. I'm on a very steep curve. Sean, Sean, as soon as he got in the car, he showed me 15 things I didn't know. I can see you with like a a catcher's gear on with a mask, being like, okay, car, come here and just get ready to see what it does. <laughs> and and the room, the rumor is is that um the cars are self-repossessing. So like if you don't pay your bill, it just kind of drives back to the dealership. <laughs> back to the dealership. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here when you're ready to pay your bills. <laughs> Good day. Or at least that's the that's the rumor. Uh, oh, it'd be you know, really funny if Elon was like, you, you know what, I want all my Teslas back, and he just flipped a switch, and all the cars just started driving. But you know, if, if you can get enough solar on your house, you know, to to incorporate the car, um, the cars are such low maintenance that um, you're kind of driving for free for the next ten years. Um, you know, the, the the there's not much that goes wrong with them, and you know, there's no oil changes, there's, there's no, no mufflers, no carburetors. There's not much that goes wrong. And tires? Now, you got tires and, and brakes are at least 100,000 miles. Jeez. So, yeah. Yeah, because there's all the regenerative braking. So most all of the braking is done by... Right, you're not even you're not hitting the... You're, yeah. The pads are like when you slam on it. And if you're not slamming on it, right, you're not even touching them. I honestly don't know when the friction brakes kick in. I, I, I really don't. Um, but uh, um, if you... If I charge the car all the way, as much as it'll let me, um, for the first five miles I'm driving, it says regenerative braking is temporarily disabled because it's got no more room to put it. Yeah. So, so they 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 even tell me like you know if you if you want to charge it to seventy five percent, you could set it on your app, of course, charge it to seventy five percent and then stop. They don't even want you charging it to hundred. That's really interesting. I mean, you can. You can charge it to 100. It's just that the first five miles that you drive, it's going to say regenerative braking is limited or regenerative braking is disabled, which is, you know, you, now it's just, I don't know what, I don't know how the car slows down, but. Um, it, My it, car it, switches over to engine braking because it's a hybrid. Right. So the, the engine actually uses the. Um, yeah, just, it, yeah, when the battery is full, it just switches right over and then you can hear the engine rev up as it's slowing down. If, if it's like a really hard, you know, stop. It, uh, right. Switch over. All right, so get a Tesla. Basically, um, uh, I don't. I'm curious if any other cars are even coming close to this type of tech. The new, um, the new Mustang Mach-E is really interesting um, from from Ford. Uh, it's a really huge step forward by a, a major manufacturer to into the electric space. Yeah, I, I haven't seen them. Uh, I'd love to. Um, yeah, it's a little bit worse as far as features than like the model y which is the closest competitor um but like performance and styling miles ahead yeah uh, so it kind of gives you that you know car aesthetic um you're not driving like a uh, a lunchbox so you know part, part of part of the allure of ford mustangs was the rumble the growl yeah it was, it was a huge um there was a lot of pushback to putting the Mustang name on 
an electric crossover SUV. Um, like, how are you doing this to the brand? Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think it was a smart decision. Like it, it shows the commitment to electric vehicles. Like if they're willing to put the, you know, the most notable IP that they have um, on their first real electric vehicle. It's, uh, yeah, it shows commitment to that. Yeah. Um, I think that all the big guys are starting to see that they at least have to have some kind of an electric line or be moving in that direction. Um, Volkswagen has a very large electric line now. Um, and there's a new electric car out, Polestar. Yeah, it's a Volvo. That's a Volvo, is it? Okay. Yeah, so it's so Volvo, Volkswagen and, and Volvo and a lot of brands are doing this thing where they they instead of making their mainline vehicles electric, so having, you know, Volkswagen has an e-golf, but they don't have like, you know, an e-Tiguan or an e, you know, Atlas or whatever. Um, they just spit off another brand, essentially. So you have like the ID4 for Volkswagen, which is their 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 electric SUV. Um, and Volvo has their Polestar brand, which is their electric. And what is Lucid, cars. Will? Lucid is entire. It's it's a, it's like a Tesla. It's an entirely separate. Okay, and they they say they're available now, but I think that they have one model, and it's kind of like an S. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. It's yeah. you know, it's a it's a halo car, right? It's it's one of those things that you bring to market to show like everybody what's possible mm -hmm. with this brand, and then you do the Tesla thing where you eventually introduce a Model Three for a reasonable amount of money. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's it's really the charging stations that are are the limiting factor now. And also that every car is not on, there's no standardization, which is a problem. Like yeah. that feels like everybody should just get together and be like, look, for the the benefit of everybody, let's just standardize on something. I wish they would. This car comes with uh, two adapters for other chargers. Yep. Um, um, and yeah, I wish they would, they would uh, standardize the plug. It's like Betamax, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, VHS. like who's yeah. gonna come out ahead with all of this yeah <laughs> where's, where's... killed everybody <laughs> <laughs> yep who's gonna be the hd dvd on this one where you're, you're you exist for two years and right. but then like jim said maybe they'll make a pad you put on your garage floor that you just drive over right the... and then the entire it's an all obsolete. the entire organization is dissolved overnight <laughs> <laughs> all those years spent bickering for what <laughs> yeah Oh, that that is uh, really really cool. Um, all right, well, um, I don't know. This was fun. Uh, thanks, thanks, um, thanks for coming on, Uncle Paul. This is a, this is a lot of fun. This is really really good. I, I mean, you've told me this stuff a lot of this, if not all of it, t other times. Um, I'll be honest, I I don't remember it all, and I certainly don't necessarily write it down. And it, now I have it recorded, so at least that's something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, again, like I said, to, as far as energy efficiency goes, air infiltration is everything. Adam, I'm concerned with with the humidity in your home. And, As am I. Yeah. Um, do you, Do you have a humidistat uh, that that uh, tells you what the humidity is in the house? Um, you know, I I do. I had a little guy that had a battery yeah. that died, but so I don't actually have it right now. I mean, the thing I always notice is during the winter, my storm door, if my front door is open, will fog up. I'll get uh, some condensation. So I know I'm definitely carrying some moisture in the house, right? If, uh, so, so typically winter is the time when the dry, it's too dry in the home. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so um, so the magic number, you want to be between 40 and 60%. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, this whole, this whole thing with COVID, dry air um, actually does help spread it because 
what it does is the, the air droplets that we breathe out, um, a lot of the water evaporates out and they just become more concentrated and lighter and they stay in the air longer when it's dry. Um, if the humidity is between 40 and 60, they don't evaporate as much, they stay heavy and they fall to the floor. So dry air is, is not great for uh, healthy, humid air is definitely not. So between 40 and 60, 50% is perfect. So if, if, you, if you get one of the, get the batteries in there and just keep an eye yeah, on for some batteries you know, in. It, it, it doesn't so much matter that the storm door fogs up. If the oh, storm no. door fogs up and you're at 70% humidity, you got a problem. Okay. If the storm door's fogging up and you're at 50% humidity, it's just a matter of physics that that storm door is that cold and it's reaching the dew point on the door. Um, okay, so, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So just get, get one of those little guys. Okay. I'll put yeah, your battery definitely. in there. Yeah. I'll throw my battery, battery in at him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my house is, uh, you know, we got down to like 16% humidity during the winter, and it's really a problem. Mm. It's uncomfortable, it's unhealthy. Um, yeah, humidity. Also, uh, when the humidity is that low, it, 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 it's difficult to feel warm in the house, regardless of the temperature. There's not enough thermal mass in the air to actually convey that heat to you. So humidity is really important, and humidity is also really difficult to regulate. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, just pay a little bit more attention to that because I may maybe I've been off and just what I've been seeing, uh, you know, has been just low humidity condensing, like you said. Yeah. So yeah, so that you know, that just keep an eye on that. Let me and let me know if you need any, you know, take a look at it. All right. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, do you have any problems that uh, Paul can solve for you? What do you got? <laughs> I mean, he can badger my landlord into making my my apartment far less drafty but i don't think that's uh that's yeah. in paul's wheelhouse um. when, when i was in college we rented a house with a, a big plastic box locked on the thermostat and, and it, was, it was the house was always cold so we would um put strings in the ice cube tray and then we take the ice cubes out and we tied them around the box Boiler would go on. Maybe <laughs> seventy-three degrees in the house. Landlord's like, "How come you guys are burning oil so much?" I'm like, "I don't know. The thermostat's locked. We don't touch it." <laughs> don't you know? Don't put a five architects in an house, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> you have a bucket underneath it to catch the water. All evidence gone. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what do you think? It's pretty chilly. I, I think it's like a four ice cube night. <laughs> so, yeah, really good. So the, the draftiness is actually what saves us from sick building syndrome. Um, you know, what I'm talking about is, is, you know, keeping all that air infiltration from coming in. But when you do that, you have to ventilate the building. Um, people stay away from that ventilated buildings because buildings leak so much. So yeah, uh, and and yeah, and you see, well, you radiate. It could be cranking, but if you have a window with with a, a jet of cold air coming in, you're not going to be comfortable. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, go get your thermal gun and and uh, some some foam spray. Just go to town. <laughs> no, we had, we had to get like those uh those three M sheets for the um sliding those were door. Great, yeah. yeah. Blow dryer, get it nice and tight. You don't even know they're there. Yeah, no, I mean, because without it, it basically feels like there's no door there. It's just, yes. oh, there's a there's just a breeze. <laughs> my my door's closed, but my curtains are blowing like it's the middle of summer, and I have my <laughs> yeah. When you see the curtains moving, it's like yeah, that ain't that ain't good. 
Uh, all right. Uh, any, any, uh, any, any last thoughts, uh, Uncle Paul? Any, anything else you want to throw out there? Um, you know, I, I, I just always try and and stay on the cutting edge of of, of technology that that's coming out. And um, I have uh, associates who are PhDs at in mechanical engineering at Stony Brook, and and they're working on off the shelf machines that they're combining and coming up with phenomenal efficiencies. So I, I constantly want to bring them into my projects to see if they're um, ready for prime time, but they're not. But that, that would be where I'm, I'm going to go next. And, and it, it just really adds one piece of equipment and some, um, some water tanks to in the uh, summertime to expel heat from the water at night. And, and this is their, their, their MO now, that we're gonna chill that water at night and then we're gonna use the chilled water during the day for cool. It's, it's really a fascinating system. And I'm just hoping that it's gonna be ready for the time when I get my Shoreham house built. So you can and put it in there. Yeah. Wow, that does sound really cool. Yeah, because at Jim's house, when we, when, when we, before we poured the basement slab, we, we dug a hole, we put, insulated concrete forms in there and we made a tank underneath his slab and he's he's got a hundred gallons of water underneath his basement slab that he uses as a thermal mass and you want to cool that you you, you or in the in the winter time you want it hot right 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 yeah so it's just the mass water makes great thermal mass it, it's yeah. like the, the best material you know even though my wax experiment i thought that was great but not, it didn't hold. <laughs> water water is is really the natural thermal mass i mean when you look at concrete uh, a third of the weight of concrete is water i didn't know that yeah the water that goes into concrete stays in there oh or at least it should <laughs> when you talk about heating up the walls or cooling the walls you then just run the water through the walls kind of thing you're talking about more the floor and then you're saying in a, in a super efficient home you don't need to do the walls but in in in, in your homes you only have to do the floors right so in in the system that i i in, i sort of invented um the, the floors are heated but they're coupled with the walls they're engaged with the walls there's no insulation between the core concrete of the walls and the floors they're they're joined and the steel rebar that acts as the structure is the conductor that takes the heat from the water up the walls. So you don't need to run it with um, anything, I, like pipes. Right. So the, one, one of my green builders out east said, let's put the piping in the walls. And I'm like, mm, I think it's going to be too much. But he's, he wants to do that on one of his projects, and I want to let him do it and see how it works out. I mean, so, so much of what we do is for the first time and damn it, someone's got to try it first. <laughs> and, and there's going to be failures. There's going to be failures. I mean, yeah. the, the guy who is my, my guru for building science, Joe Listerbrook, he went through his lectures of things he did in the 30s. And when he was in his 30s, um, that were just monumental failures. And, and that's how I have the knowledge from him. Sure. So, if, 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 they, if they want to go through the process of putting these pipes in the walls, um, I, I would be their main cheerleader and then follow it. And if it worked, um, I think that would be interesting. It's a zoning thing. How are you going to zone it? Because it's very easy to zone floors. You know what I'm saying? A bedroom, a living room, that's all separate zones. 
if you have walls wrapping, it, it, it may be confusing, it may be difficult, but I'm willing to take a shot. But that, that's where I'm going. That, that, that's where my head is at next. Got it. And uh, I have a Pete, again, you probably met Pete at some point, but he had a question because he's, he's typically in yeah. a spot where he can't talk because he... he Can this work in greenhouses? Yeah. So I, um, what, what, what exactly what... what you know, if, um, um, where he's I'm growing sure. stuff. Yeah, where he's growing... Oh, as far as heat goes? I yes. think... That's where he's going. You know, you know so, so th this is the thing with, with in-floor heating and using um, uh, thermal mass. The heat's going to transfer through radiation. So there's three ways to transfer heat, radiation, conduction, and, and convection. So radiation is how we get heat from the sun. It, it travels through, you know, 93 million miles. Um, when, when the floor heats up, it radiates. So it only heats things light hits. So with the greenhouse, I'd be looking hard at the glass um, that I had some kind of reflector, thermal reflector on the inside of the glass. And I don't know how to answer his question because this is pretty friggin' wordy. Yeah. <laughs> Too much to put it. Is he still on? Uh, he is. I don't know if he'll respond. If, he's, okay, if he so, hears us, we might get a response, but yeah. Okay. So, so, um, I'd be looking for, and this sounds really bizarre, mirrored glass. Oh, he's got the thumbs up. Mirrored glass on the inside of the greenhouse if I had a radiant floor system. Because all you got to do is bounce that heat back. Huh. So, you, you know, it, it, it's really interesting is that um, if you sit out in the sun um, and feel the, the heat on your face, and then you take a, a piece of glass from an, a window that has a heat mirror, and, and it it blocks maybe 60% of the light, but you don't even notice that. And you put it in front of your face, it feels instantly cooler. Uh, heat mirrors are, are incredible. They do block some visible light, but they're really designed to bounce back oh, in, uh, infrared. So, you know, on, on the light schedule, uh, light um, spectrum, you have ultraviolet on one side, and then you go all the way through and you have infrared, and infrared is the next is thermal. We can't see it but it's, it's thermal and it's just past the infrared scale. So if you could just bounce that part back, um, you would have pretty efficient greenhouse. And yeah. during the day, during the day, heat's not an issue. During the day, you're usually trying to expel heat in a greenhouse. Right. So this is, this is how you deal with it when it gets cooler out or at night. How do you keep it? How do you maintain night, the temp? At night, if, if you had a concrete floor that was warm and radiating heat, it's going to want to radiate it to space. Right. And, that, and that's where these mirrors come in and they keep, yeah. they, they, they do a much better job while still being able to have the, the, the light it, come in during the day. Right. It, it would do better than clear glass because clear glass puts up practically no resistance to thermal radiation. But you also know there's a lot of films, even, even the window in your car has a heat mirror. If you, if you have the sunshine, just go put your face out and then behind it and you'll feel the difference in the heat. It, it bounces back the, the, that spectrum, the infrared thermal spectrum. By the way, bees can see that spectrum. What do they do with it? Like um, they, they, they use it for, for specific stuff in the hive, but they can see infrared. Interesting. Yeah. A few, a few other animals can see heat. We're limited. <laughs> uh, if, you get, if you get a thermal camera, an infrared camera, they, they're fun to play with. You make me want to do that just to see the the holes or the uh, cold streams 
I'd probably be a little scared when I turn it on. Like, oh my god! <laughs> like, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, um, the cold temperatures are darker colors. Right. So you, you actually, it looks like a jet of black air, a jet of black smoke coming out. Right. The lack of. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah cold yep. air looks black. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Pete, I hope that answered your question. Uh, I think it did. Um, but if you want to talk about building a more efficient greenhouse, you know how to you know how to find us, and maybe you can have another follow up discussion with uh, with Paul. So yeah, I, you know, a, a du- double thick glass that w- was now using as you know thermal glass that's going to help you with the conduction. That's going to keep the heat from conducting through the glass. So now warm air touches the glass, it warms the glass, that conducts through the glass, and then it radiates out. But Thermal glass with double pane glass stops that conduction because there's a gap. Got it. I, I, I don't know if most greenhouses have double pane glass or not. Um, I actually, but if you're going to heat it in, in, in the, in the winter time, I would think you would want insulated glass. Right. Right. Or just don't use it in winter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the, the pot market is hot. So yeah. <laughs> greenhouses can be money makers. <laughs> Yeah, if, if Pete comes to you with a check for thirty thousand dollars saying he wants an updated greenhouse, you'll know. Uh, we can make a deal. We can make a deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, thank, thank, thanks for jumping on. This was this was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Thanks for All thanks right, for so doing now, this. So now I, I want to sit in on, on on your other sessions too. Sure, sure. Uh, we we uh, we're not typically this. Uh, uh, this was a, a very intelligent discussion. This is ours are typically oh, you know, much I, more I like, like. Oh, I like the other end. We too. we we jump into, <laughs> you know, movie reviews and how far left someone can go before they're called an <laughs> asshole. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's I, usually it's, it's usually a mix of uh, politics and movie reviews. Is, yeah. is what we've been discussing. <laughs> and 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 can can I turn a movie review into a political discussion? Is typically <laughs> the way I go. <laughs> So uh, I'm happy to invite you. I'll tell you the topic. I oh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's all right up my alley. I'm, yeah. I, I love yeah. That yeah. If, if there's anything that resonates with you. Uh, yeah. It's just like uh, whoever, whoever's around. So it's these guys. It's uh, Andrew, uh, Dave. They'll join uh, occasionally as well. Uh, another guy, Brian, which again, I think you've met all these guys, but it's just like whoever, whoever's here, we, we try and do them either Sundays or Thursdays. And, um, uh, you know, if we don't have topics. I quickly scan like WAPO hoping to find some stories that are interesting or I beg these guys to bring something to the table. So yeah, I, I, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, uh, 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 that sounds awesome. So, so yeah. Um, uh, you guys have, uh, anything, anything you want to add before we go? No, this was, this was super interesting. Um, the, the targetedness of this was, uh, was better than the vagueness of, of how we usually run these, uh, sessions. <laughs> yeah. This so. is not how we go. This is, I, I, I would love to go back to vague. <laughs> <laughs> take me there <laughs> take me back yeah uh if you want to uh uh analyze rambo 3 under under the lens of its uh interpretation of the soviet <laughs> afghan war that is that is typically <laughs> uh yeah so all right um uh all right so i guess we'll 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 call it and uh this was this was a lot of fun and uh I'll, hopefully hopefully we'll have you back on for many many more Paul. yeah thanks guys it was a lot of fun all right, I'll uh, I'll end it now. Have a good one, guys. See you later. Take care.